0: SNAP Production From the Inside with Peter Ricks. Peter Ricks is an Australian music industry veteran who has spent his life working in and around the music business in Australia. In this series, he'll be introducing you to some of his old music industry friends. This is part two of his conversation with two of the founding fathers of Australian Music's ARIA Awards, former ARIA board director Philip Mortlock and former long-time producer of the ARIA Awards Mark Pope. In this part, they share a bunch of good old rock and roll stories. Sometimes for them, they were war stories at the very same time. The awards weren't televised until nineteen ninety two, so a lot of the early stories have never been heard by the public until
1: now. So time to examine your memories and the the journey. Cause there was a point after I think it was four years we moved we moved from the wentworth Hotel to the Darling Harbour to the Sydney Convention and exhibition Center and then then we moved from there I think to the state theater first um, always we would have the awards ceremony first after we once we got out of the dinner dinner table environment we we had uh, the awards first, then we would have the big party afterwards, and then frankly uh, most people descended on on a on the Siebel townhouse. Um, and now, now pulled, uh, the venue doesn't exist anymore, but in those days it was, to say the least, legendary. Th- that, that journey of television, wh- what do you two most remember about that transition? Because if you remember in the beginning, we didn't, we we didn't really have live music in the first few years.
2: Well, to, to re-emphasise what you just described, the first three or four years was a sit-down dinner in a hotel ballroom and the awards were presented after the dinner while everybody was still sitting at their tables with their drinks in hand. So there was it was it was loose, but you know, in a in a in, in a, a charming way. Yeah. Um and you're right. We couldn't afford to have the staging of live performances or anything like that. So it was literally just, you know, everybody have have dinner, have a good chinwag and then then do the awards and have have a, a party after. Uh, and then it moved into a larger venue because obviously it became the hottest ticket in town and everybody wanted to be there. So you moved it into the convention centre kind of environment and and were able to put a stage there and a PA and actually have people perform. And, you know, talk about Rod for your own back. Uh, I can recall um, specifically Billy Thorpe. Ah, Billy, the Billy Thorpe story. Yeah. So allowing him to do a performance performance uh, Towards up the end of the awards, promised me that he was going to do most people I know because he was going to get his Hall of Fame award. Yeah, but he was actually touring at the time with Mick Fleetwood, with Mick Fleetwood and a, and a bunch of fantastic session players from America that he was uh, that he was touring around the country with. So he wasn't just going to stand up there and do uh, do mm, one song, you know, nine minutes and forty seven seconds, Philip. Yeah. And
3: you knew you, you knew what you were going to get we all knew billy Thorpe. it's yeah. like he hey. promised me he would yeah. be, and he did he promised. He, d- he did play most people i know bless
1: him billy if you're looking down on me now he told me he would, and he did. He did sixty seconds to the second of most people I know, <laughs> and then it roared into something indecipherable for the next eight and a half minutes. Yeah, and he cranked it to eleven. Yeah, actually twelve. I think it was yeah. twelve. Yeah, right. was that the year that George Martin or Quincy Jones? Someone was in the audience that was famous that year.
2: Oh, we always had,
1: you know, this is
2: the great thing is that the the record companies would always manage to find a couple of special guests that we could put up on stage as special presenters of special awards, whether it be best album or best male or female or whatever. And Quincy Jones was there one year, George Martin was there.
1: You, yeah that was uncle Paul oh, um, the do, do either of you remember the year that Gary Morris the manager of, of midnight all accepted the best group award on stage and gave Brian ferry who was sitting in the audience a small lecture
2: that no 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 it was uh, I'll, I'll be specific here so um, midnight all chose not to come to the awards yes. either because they were on tour or because they just thought it was uncool being at the Ari Awards, but Gary Morris, their manager, did attend and they won a few awards, so he got up and made very long speeches. Uh, very but Old yes, Testament speeches. But one of the people that we had as a special guest to present awards was Brian Ferry, who's one of the the, the most dapper dudes in, in in rock and roll history. He's standing there in his... Best, best Armani suit crushed linen Armani suit yes. if you remember and yeah and Gary turned around and said to him you know forgot the iron brand.
1: <laughs> Brian yeah, we do have irons in the cupboards in Australian hotels <laughs> a good classic
2: word, faux pas of which there were many good work, Gary
1: and then Molly leaping to the to the microphone for the next award and advising Gary, to hop back. Well, the
2: the point I was going to make is that through that transition from the ballroom environment through to the the convention centre, we we were we were actually videoing most of those shows for the industry to have a document of it. But we never thank went, God. But we never went to uh, went to air. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a, a lot of things were said on the night. People attempting to one up each other with you know with uh, irreverence or or humour or whatever, and it and it made. For a very entertaining evening, you know, sure, it went on and on some nights, but uh, in fact most nights, what am I saying? but it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun Phil. yeah a lot of fun
1: and a lot of <clears throat> reverie. I remember that night that um, 24 hours beforehand when when I got the telephone call to say that Kylie Minogue would be coming, and by the way, she's bringing her boyfriend with her, and a boyfriend at the time was Michael Hutchins. And little did any of us know until somebody came rushing into the entertainment centre that there were 120 members of the UK paparazzi literally out in front of the venue and the security weren't letting them inside the room all waiting for the two of them to walk in. And I, I got a call from... Chris Murphy, uh, Michael, NXS's manager, to say, how can we get Michael and Kylie in? So we snuck them in the loading dock door of the Sydney Mm -hmm. Convention Centre and the paparazzi outside literally rioted because they discovered they were already in there and neither of them were going to make a speech, but I think Kylie was getting an award that night, from memory. And so when they left, because they did actually... Make the, the departure so that they the paparazzi would get the photograph. None of it was Australian paparazzi; it was all yeah. imported in. Well,
2: I remember it very well because they sat at my table because I was uh, by then the MD of of Michael's record company, and mm. so I had in excess sitting at my table and the table next to me. Um, but I remember Michael and Kylie when they came in uh, reluctantly uh, through, as you say, through the through the loading dock. Um, and were ushered to the table. They sat down. They were so disinterested in the whole thing. They were basically, you know, waiting for that moment when they could leave scarper out of there. So, I mean, I don't think they were there for more than 30 minutes, quite yeah. honestly. It was, you know, a, a fleeting
1: moment.
3: Yeah. There were many magic moments we had along the mm, way. Oh, some of those
1: nights at what was Acer Arena, some of those awards nights were sublime. Yeah. Hmm.
3: Well, we had moments, and and, and y- y- we mentioned before on the independent side, I fought really hard to get the waifs on the on the show. <laughs> and, you know, you've got the television side people, it's like, well, where's their hit? Yeah, they haven't got well, a like, hit. Who are they? Yeah. And I remember well, Gormul, Unapingo, it's like, I'm a, a hook. It's like it's not about that, it's about a moment.
2: Well, and you're talking about some of the best live music. Mo- I mean, John well, Butler, the same. I remember when we had him on... Uh, the first time Uh, and and frankly there were a lot of people going you know like who's this but it it turned out to be one of the the highlights Mm. of that Look, If if
1: anybody is listening to this that doesn't that does not remember the duet between John Butler and Keith Urban Mm. they should rush to YouTube now and have a listen because that Mm. is that goes on the top ten of
3: anybody's list of great musical moments That took me five months of, because of, I knew John Butler and his people and I knew Keith and his people. And both parties at, at, at the early stages, well, why are we not, not giving up a slot, but why are we going to give up a slot? It's like you don't get it. It's one plus one equals three. It's a magic moment, never before, never again. And trust me, this will work. So I worked it for five months, just convincing, 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 and I got them, both parties across the line. And then on the, on the they hadn't even met. They had uh, they had dinner at uh, lunch on the Friday and Phil Stevens, the manager, rang me and said, look, we've had lunch and it's been great and we're just going to go off to rehearsal. And I'll never forget it. I'm driving home on the Friday night from Ace Arena. Sab Chase is in the car. Connie Mitchell's in the car. Daniel Denham, the producer, is in the car. And the phone rings and it's Phil Stevens. And he goes, Mark, there's a problem. I said, what? He said, the rehearsal, it's been a disaster and John Butler's wife wants to talk to you right now. And I said, I threw the phone at Sam and I said, can't talk, I'm driving. <laughs> and Sam's there going, yeah, 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 okay. Mark, you've got to speak to John's wife. And I go, okay, get the phone back. Phil says, right, I'll put her on now. <laughs> it wasn't John Butler's wife, it was John Butler. Oh. And John Butler goes, I don't know where this idea came from, Mark, but I've got to tell you, this is going to be unbelievable. (laughs) And I went, that's great, John. Now, put me back on the phone to your manager, quick (laughs) step." And I just said, you ever fucking do that to me again, I'll kill you. And anyway, but that that moment, whoa, yes, it's like, oh, 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 I I was shivering in my boots, but that moment, it's, it's always up there in the top five or the yeah, top three absolutely. moments, again, because you had this never before, never again. It was excitement. It's entertainment. And, and
2: I tips me hat to, to you, Mark, because that's what you did. You up the ante in that respect. You know, you're on television, so let's make it like an event.
3: Well, also with Delta Goodrum, turning a problem into an opportunity. She couldn't perform because she was ill. Mm. And then to have that moment with Darren Hayes where nobody, nobody knew he was going to step out and do that song acoustically. Mm. It was a beautiful moment, yeah. absolutely stunning moment. Yep. And Silverchair when, yeah, that's another story I can tell you, but um, <laughs> Silverchair, that first moment when they performed was just, you know, that, oh, that the excitement. The oh, what, when the drummer head-butted the... the... No, not that no, one. No, no. Um, I'm talking about when, when Daniel came back from... Um, oh, yes. ..from um, his debilitating uh, arthritis yeah, and all yeah, the rest yeah, and of
2: And they it. did a Radio Birdman song. Yes,
3: I remember. No, no, no. This was the, this, oh. that was your year. The greatest view was the year where he came back with um, right. from the arthritis.
1: Mm-hmm. So tell me, both of you, w- fondest memories. Uh, I'm going to let you think about it while I tell my my most fondest story of the ARI Awards, which is a an American band called the Fun Loving Criminals. Which there is a legendary story that involves me and a now deceased production manager, my beloved old friend, Eric Robinson. And Ro- And Rove McManus was the master of ceremonies. We were at the Capitol Theatre and Eric, the production manager, came running over to my little spot with the television on the other side of the stage and said, mate, you've got to come over here. We've got a bit of a problem with the next set of presenters who happened to be the fun-loving criminals. And they were standing side stage with their... The promotion is managed from the record company, and each of them were carrying on their shoulder a um, two dozen carton pack of Foster's beer. And they were, in, they had been out to lunch, and then from lunch gone to a late evening drinkathon. And they were there, having decided not to do anything else but go into the dressing room and then walk on stage. And after that, they were going to drink. Clearly, they
3: were fun-loving
1: criminals. They were. Indeed. And so Eric, the coward that he was, um, sent me to the front of the queue to inform the band that they couldn't walk onto the stage with their Foster's beer cans on the bed, let alone drink them on stage as they were supposedly presenting the award. Meanwhile, uh, Rove's come out of a commercial break and is introducing the five members of the band who, in the end, as I sat between them and the stage entry point picked up their cartons of beer and threw them them at me, told me I was – a serious amount of four-letter words went on and marched out and proceeded on national television to tell them some some big, big ugly bastard out the back wouldn't let us bring our beer cans (laughs) on stage (laughs) while poor old Rose sat there having no idea what was going on Um, and that was over. The – television show was completed. We all went and put our little bow ties on to go to the dinner afterwards and uh, I went home quite early because uh, every time I bumped into anybody, they'd look at me and say, what have you done to the fun-loving criminals? Because all they're doing is marching around the dinner wanting to know where the big guy that produces (laughs) the awards are because they want to beat him up.
3: Yeah, we've all got those.
1: Yeah. Right. Mr. Pope, what would your... Favourite, fondest memory be of your time surrounding the madness of the Aria Music Awards?
3: Um, as far as performances go, obviously we spoke about Funky Town, John Butler and Keith Urban. The Darren Hayes was a very poignant moment. Um, I thought um, uh, when Neil Finn. Uh, got up acoustically as a tribute to Paul Hester. That was, (laughs) there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Gurumal's performance was just like you could hear a pin drop. Some artists they push out, other artists draw you to them and there was just something about the magic of Gurumul that was quite special. You, You knew you were in the company of special. As far as moments go, there's two that, there's um, two that come to mind um, and both from uh, Female Artists of the Year. Casey Chambers' reaction when she, that first year I did it with the album of the year mm. and she her knees buckled and, and it was like, oh, my God, what a moment. Um, the moment that... Uh, Missy Higgins won and ran up and David Hasselhoff was there and she just jumped into his arms. That was special because, again, you can't script that shit. It's like that was genuine, like joy, yeah. you know, absolute joy and then of course Delta's moment when she won all the awards and the tears and all the rest of it, emotion is something that moves people just like mu- music moves people so to see that was quite special and for me the first year I did it when we first took it out to so ASA um, was watching um, Silverchair doing The Greatest View which was, which was um, Daniel's comeback moment from illness and all the rest of it and here's my story the parting story that I'll leave you. So it was my first year at the Ares. Um There was a, a credibility issue with the artists at that point, trying to win people back. I hunted down Viv Fountain, uh the publicist from The Big Day Out, and asked her to come on board. She relented finally, and she came on board. That was a big moment. But the other one was making sure that we got the artists involved. And at that stage, Daniel Jones was fragile, and they were nominated for three awards, and I was out drinking with Richard Clapton one night, as I did many times back then, and the call came, and it was John Watson. And John's a very decent, honourable man, and he said, Mark, you're a manager, or you used to manage, uh, put yourself in my shoes. Daniel's fragile, fragile. Um, putting the band in front of people there and the performance and all, and I wanted this performance because Silverchair coming back from injury was big news. It was a draw card. And he said, look, I know I can't ask and, and you can shoot me down, but they're up for three awards and I just can't embarrass the band. I can't put them up there to perform and be losers on the night. I had to think on my feet. It was a bit of a, not a moral dilemma, but a dilemma nonetheless. And I went, John, John Watson, how could you? You're asking me to tell you whether you won one award, two awards or three awards. I can't do that. And how dare you ask me? Pause. However, (laughs) if you ask me, would you be happy, very happy or very, very happy, all I can say is you'll be very, very happy. <laughs> and he said, we're playing. I said, done. That story's never been revealed till now. That's <laughs> fantastic. Peter, Peter
2: you, you have to come back with a few of your anecdotes that you can now tell about those decisions that need to be made about who actually performs, knowing who the winners
1: are. Uh, look, I had a line that I always used to use. My favourite was always Gadinsky, because all he wanted was to get his axe on the RE Awards. And he would not, he and Dennis were pretty good at, Dennis Hannah were pretty good at monstering me. Pretty? Very. So the line was, and I, I just refined it in the end, was, Michael, if you take... Any advice from me all would be it would be a very, very good idea <laughs> if... Similar tactic. <laughs> uh, came, came to the awards that night. I say nothing else. My lips are sealed. But a very, very good idea if you turned up. Mm. Now, I did it to him once. <laughs> and the bad lovers didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> never
3: he never forgave,
1: forgave
0: me. Yeah. In fact, he quite regularly reminds me. This is From the Inside with Peter Ricks. He's in conversation with two ARIA Awards legends, Philip Mortlock and Mark Pope. In a moment, they talk about that one ill-fated night of the ARIA Awards, the 2010 awards filmed on the steps of the Sydney Opera House, and
1: the look ahead to the awards from here. A couple more things. Firstly, anything, any moment that you have ever thought about that genuinely you saw as a... a, a bad experience that you've oh. been a part of. Oh,
3: you first on me.
1: Well, no,
2: you
3: you go for. I mean, yeah. Well, we all know the one, um, but I'm I'm going
1: to set. Well, up. I'm, I'm sure we do, but but I didn't ask because I wanted you to tell me all about your night at the Sydney Opera House. But the I don't think necessarily the people at home are going to know that much about it. I mean, frankly, these things always end up being a part of a larger. Wallpaper of of Ari Awards moments well, that some of whom, frankly, when you think they're the worst things on earth, some of people think they're the greatest moments they ever saw in their life. Mm. Well, in that instance, you know, you referred,
2: Mark, before to trying to make something that works in the room and on television. That Sydney Opera House steps one, I don't think it worked in either instance, unfortunately. Uh, ironically, uh, it was done in that forum because it came off the back of a uh, hit TV show for ten at the time, which was the first Australian Idol series, which finishes with a huge concert on the steps of the Opera House. So I think the thinking—I fought was, against it. I, didn't I know wa- you did. I didn't yeah. want it there, but I think that was the reasoning: is like, well, you know, hang on, this mm-hmm. is this works for television, so let's use this. But of course, different strokes, different folks. Mm. Um, that said, I do remember, you know, Sia performed on the night and she was fantastic. That was amazing.
3: And Megan Washington,
2: Washington, Washington was wow. an astounding performance. Yeah,
3: there were good moments, but I went into therapy after that. Hmm. It was... It was... Uh, this, is, this is what it was for me. when I took Literally? It over, when I took it over the year, be, uh, the year before, Powderfinger on stage and they had this look on their face as they're accepting an award, as if to say, what the fuck are we doing here? Right? It did. They did. That's the look they had. And I was determined to make sure that the Ari Awards were aspirational for artists. Full circle, ten years later, there's Powderfinger up on stage. There was no freaking stage with these with this woman behind, <laughs> drinking a beer, talking to a bawling boyfriend in the backdrop as they're getting the award. The, and they got it, a look on their face it, saying, what the fuck are we doing yeah, here? That, that so was, it went full circle. was in the tent. You remember it was in the tent. So it went full circle. And the, the decision to uh, serve cocktail food and st- uh, the, here's one thing, people drink more when they're standing up than sitting down. And that after-show party started the minute that they arrived, and everyone, everyone was hammered by about an hour, two hours into the show. We ra- we actually ran out of booze that night. I had Michael Long going around to bottle shops buying cases of beer because that you work all these things out mathematically, but uh, because people were standing up and it was just on from that, it was it was a disaster.
1: Um, so. All those blood, sweat, and tears that, with, without the cliches that you you two are put into it all. What what do you both see as the future of the awards? What what's the next five years hold for the Arias? We're we're in the month, really. I presume when this is bro- first broadcast, when it'll it'll be thundering along again, and uh, well, as always, there'll be you know hyperbole. What? I, I, and I hate legend, to sound cliched,
2: but music wins in the end, you know. And I think. So long as the Arias continues to to recognize the, the quality and diversity of the of, of, of what's there, it's you know, its relevance will continue to be strong. I think, you know, as we've already addressed a number of times in our conversation today, that's it's the it's the T V event that still needs to be to be readdressed as to how that works, both in the room and, and whatever the, the, the broadcast outcome is. Dear Mark?
3: What do you think? Um, uh, well, as I said before, I'm so delighted that there are 32 years a milestone mark has been laid down and I do hope that there's another 32 and another 32 after that because irrelevant of the night itself, the, the, the history that's been created by acknowledging the artists who were regarded as the best and brightest—I think that's so important. It's like that honour roll of, of, you know, when people look back in 50 years or 100 years of who was the best and brightest in 2005. I think that's that goes beyond our own mortality, and it's a good thing to have. So, uh, I, I think it's going to survive. I think it'll grow. It'll have its twists and turns, as we've seen and been part of along the way. Um, but long may it rain. Yeah, look, the music never
1: dies, does it? The the delivery mechanism of the music, um, the music often, thrives. Yeah, yeah, correct. But I I do think that if if Ar- the board of aria and uh, those responsible in the modern era for the journey of delivery, if they are lucky enough to have blokes like you too um, inside it, with that level of commitment that you've given to it over the years. Then those awards will survive. They'll prosper. They'll continue oh. to prosper. They'll change, but I I do think um, uh, it's 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 had its ups and downs already, and it's not just survived, but it has grown stronger in oh, many ways. Absolutely. And to be to be truthful, Philip, if it's not on television, it won't matter. It'll right. it'll in many ways without a television broadcast, it'll have more. Um, exposure across the mediums than it gets now because the moment it's on television, the other networks don't really want to give it much exposure. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I, and that's always been the note that I... When we first started, it was it didn't matter that it wasn't on television. We had the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald the morning after and the Telegraph uh, with Farnham holding onto to all those trophies. Well, that's the
2: thing. You would hope that we've got to the point, certainly after all this time, where the ARIA Awards, uh, you know, it's news and, and it and it has oh, a, it is. Yeah, and it has... Uh, uh, a significance, you know, in 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 terms of its. I mean, we always tried to make as strong an e- emphasis as we could on the nominations, as much as as the the awards themselves. Once they were decided, who the winners were, because to be nominated itself was was certainly, you know, putting you in a in a you know in a featured class. And I went to the uh, the uh, nominations announcement event last week, where they also hand out the Fine Arts Awards. Uh, and the room was full. Uh, it was the industry, mostly record company and media people there. And as each category was announced and the, the various nominations were announced, there were cheers, you know, from the audience. And that's, Engagement. And those people are the people that are working, you know, in the industry. And they may be cheering because they work for the record company or for the management company that... that that looks after that act or simply because they're just a fan or Mm. probably for for both reasons. Mm. And the fact that you've got that engagement for an industry to be there and wanting to know what the results are and then being proud of it and being supportive of it,
3: you want that to resonate as far as you can possibly... We did our job now it's somebody else's turn yeah
1: absolutely <laughs> <laughs> we retire with the with a score at none for 150 <laughs> uh, it, it has been a joy Thank you for coming to spend time uh, reminiscing um, you are both very unique characters um, and there is a generosity of spirit that you both gave to those awards that um, that I do hope they've they managed to replicate because the awards will prosper if they have people like you around at all you should talk
3: Peter I did say at the time when I first took on the event producer role that I was standing on the shoulders of giants and and um, you guys you and and the people I mentioned before started this idea And, and getting an idea into action uh you know it's it's a big job so that's got to be acknowledged yeah, well, I'll,
1: I'll I'll take the score at none for 200 in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being a part of From the Inside. Uh, I look forward to seeing what the next iteration of the awards are, as I bet the two of you are as well, um, both live and in that room and, and on the television screens. And to all of you listening at home or in your car, thanks for tuning in and I look forward to your company once again as we continue with some of Australia's best-known music identities and we dig a little deeper into how they have shaped and continue to shape and lead the way, as these two have done for a long time now, the Australian music business.
0: Philip Mordlock and Mark Pope. In the next episode of From the Inside, Peter Ricks speaks with Harvey Lister. Harvey Lister's path started off in radio promotions at legendary Brisbane radio station 4IP in the 1970s. From there, it led to the promotion of bands and a career in music, sport and entertainment. Peter and Harvey look back at these moments and how it has led to his work now as chairman and CEO of AEG Ogden, an Australian company responsible for managing some of the region's biggest arenas and stadiums. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside with Peter Ricks. Listener